Well, have you got your blank piece of paper ready? Because that's what Al asked us to do last week. Because this morning we're looking at God's agenda for this world. Now, our whole life, we're taught to think about our agenda, aren't we? What we want to achieve. What we want to do with our lives. What we do with our money. What we do with our spare time. Uh, where we want to live. It's all about me. Now, if you've picked up anything at all in the last three weeks of this course, I hope you've picked up this, that trying to set our own agenda for life ends in disaster. It's completely foolish. You might remember three weeks ago we started right at the beginning in Genesis 1, where Bryson showed us from Genesis 1 that God made the world and God made us and so he, and only he, has the right to set the agenda for our lives. And we make the mistake, don't we, of treating God like some cosmic GPS system, it was suggested, that instead of letting God punch in the directions, though, we type in the destination of where we want to go, and then somehow we think God will just help us there. God will help us fulfil our own agenda. But then we looked at Genesis 3. And when life is all about our own agenda and not listening to God, it ends in disaster. And that's why the world is the way the world is. That's why the world is a mess. And then last week we saw that God has spoken into this mess that is our world and he has revealed to us his agenda, his plan for the world, his plan for our lives. So what is his agenda? That's what we're looking at this morning and we will be continuing to look at in the next few weeks. So I hope you've got your blank piece of paper ready because we need to repent of the foolish idea that we can set our own agenda and we need to look afresh of what God's agenda is. So let's turn to the scriptures, that passage that was just read for us, Ephesians 1 verse 9. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. It's a short passage, but there's so much going on in it. I'll read it again slowly. He made known to us the mystery of his will. In other words, God has revealed to us now his plan, his agenda. According to his good pleasure, in other words, this is what God wants, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. In other words, this is where everything is heading. This is where the whole of creation is heading. And what is it? What is God's agenda, God's end point for this world? Well, read it for yourself, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, the last bit there after the dash. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. What is God's agenda for this world? It is simply this, that everyone and everything is brought together under Jesus. Now that last little phrase there, even Christ, sounds a bit funny. It, 
it's not saying that even Christ is brought under this one head. It's saying that uh, everything is brought together under this one head and that one head is Christ. Uh, the even, we, uh, that even is an old-fashioned use of the word even. Some of you older, more mature people might use even in that way. The King James translated it even and it simply means that is. So if we read it, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, that is Christ. Not, not that even Christ will be brought under that head. That is Christ. Now, if you're not sure about something like that with a little translation thing, it's not a bad idea to look at some other translations. Does anyone have anything that's not the NIV here this morning? Yeah, what do you got, Jed? Under Christ, and it gets rid of the even. The new NIV. So it's updated, fixes up that language problem. That's good, Ed. That's good, Jed. Good on you. Um, the NIV, it's always good to check some other translations. Uh, the NASB, which is a very literal translation, almost word for word, says the summing up of all things in Christ. The SV version says to unite all things in him, in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. And the good news version, just to be safe, this plan which God will complete when the time is right to bring is to bring all creation together, everything in heaven and on earth with Christ as head. So back to our version, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, and that head is Jesus. God's plan for the world is to bring everything under Jesus. I want to take, take a bit of time to be clear on that, because if we're saying that this is God's agenda for the world, we want to get it right. So if you've come with a blank piece of paper this morning and you want to... Um, Take note of what God's agenda is. Take out your blank piece of paper and write this one word down in big letters, Jesus. Because God's agenda is that Jesus be king over everything. And if you have anything else as your agenda, it will end in disaster. In the movie City Slickers, I um, don't know if many of you have seen it, um, it's about this city guy who goes bush in America, out west, uh, to be a cowboy. And he's out in the middle of nowhere, um, riding, two of them are riding along together. The cowboy, older fellow's got his cowboy hat on. The young city slicker's got his baseball cap on. They're riding along on horseback. And they start talking about the secret of life. What's life all about? And the old guy says, the secret of life is this. The city slicker goes, what, your finger? He said, no, one thing, just one thing. You've got to stick to one thing. And the city guy says, what's the one thing? The old guy says, that's what you've got to figure out. In other words, the idea is that each person in this world just needs to find their own one thing that they will give their life to. Whether it's their family, whether it's their work, whether it's being a cowboy, if they just give their life to that one thing, life will work. That's the secret. Now, he's almost right. Life is about one thing. But we don't get to choose what the one thing is. God has chosen it. And the one thing that our lives are to be about is Jesus. Jesus needs to be at the centre. Meanwhile, we fluff about with what hobby to do or how much money we'll have when we retire. They're not the one thing that we're to live for. 
God's agenda is that Jesus be king over this entire universe, including king over you and I. Now, if that's God's agenda, we'd expect to find it in more than just one verse. Um, And it is. It is all through the Bible. In fact, this isn't just some new agenda that appeared in the New Testament when Jesus appeared. God's agenda has always been that Jesus will be king. From the start of the Bible in Genesis to the end of the Bible in Revelation, this has always been where creation is heading. So what I want to do now for the middle part of this talk is just have a look at the entire Bible and see that this is God's agenda. Because if this is what life is about, we want to get it right. So turn with me to Genesis 49. Um, You can look them up with me as we go through or you can have a look at them on the overhead. Genesis 49. Read through the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, and towards the end we meet a guy called Jacob who becomes Israel. And at the end of his life, Jacob is sitting on the end of his bed. His feet are off the side of the bed just, just before he dies. And he gathers his 12 sons around him and he speaks a word to each of them. And then after he speaks this, he puts his feet up into his bed and he dies. And these are his dying words to his 12 sons. To, to Reuben, he says, uh, yeah, this is, we'll get to this in a minute. To Reuben, he says, Reuben, you're my firstborn. Even though you're my firstborn, it won't go well for you. Simeon and Levi says, stop fighting, get on with each other, and so on. A a personal word to each of his sons. But listen what he says when he gets to Judah. The scepter, that's the rod that a king rules with, will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. Suddenly, out of almost nowhere, in the words of this dying man, comes a promise talking about someone who will come and all the nations will be obedient to him. Now, this is way back in Genesis, 1,700 years before Jesus. God is promising a king who will rule the world. It's talking about Jesus. Read on in the Bible through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, you get to when Israel does have kings. And in 2 Samuel 7 verse 12, that's this passage, this is now 700 years after Genesis, God is speaking to one of his kings, King David. And listen to what God says to King David. It's another promise. When your days are over, King David, and you rest with your fathers... I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. In other words, there's going to be one of your descendants who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. In other words, not just a descendant of Judah now, but a descendant of King David will come and rule forever. It's talking about Jesus. It's a thousand years before Jesus was born, but it's talking about Jesus. Thanks, Doug. God is promising a king who will rule forever. Now, David himself writes a lot about this in the Psalms. For example, Psalm 2, You are my son, today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. 
You'll rule them with an iron scepter. You'll dash them to pieces like pottery. That psalm is talking about Jesus. Fast forward through the Old Testament another 200 years or so. Israel now is in complete disaster. They've had a civil war. They're fighting with each other. There's, There's good kings, but there's also bad kings. Everything's falling apart. But God's promise still stands. God says to a prophet called Micah, he says this, and this is a passage sometimes we read at Christmas time when we think about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you are a small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Now I could go on, but the Old Testament is full of these kinds of promises. Psalm 110, very similar. Isaiah 11, which Bryson preached from recently about God's coming king. Jeremiah 23, Ezekiel 37, Daniel 7, Zechariah 9. The Bible is full of it. Someone is coming. This person will bring peace. This person will rescue God's people. And this person will be king over the entire world. Then when we arrive in the New Testament and we get to the Gospels, Jesus says that he's the one. Luke 24, 44. This is Jesus talking to his disciples after he rose from the dead. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses. It's like Genesis. In the prophets, like Micah and the others. In the Psalms, like Psalm 2 and Psalm 110. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. The whole of the Bible is about Jesus. He's at the center of God's plans. He always has been. The whole of the Bible, the whole of human history, God's agenda for this world, it's all about Jesus. And in fact, when we turn to the book of Revelation, just to be safe, just to make sure God's plan doesn't change somehow, what do we see right at the end of the Bible? Exactly the same thing. Right at the end of the Bible, a couple of pages in from the end, in Revelation 19.15, we get a vision of Jesus after he's returned and look at how he's described. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's all about Jesus. And in Revelation, those who love him are caught up in a huge celebration like a wedding banquet. And those who have rejected him are trodden down in judgment. And at the center of all, it all is Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. What on earth ever made us think that we're at the center of the universe? Crazy. 
1543, there was an astronomer uh, named Copernicus. He caused a complete revolution in the way that people thought. You might remember that before Copernicus, people thought that the Earth was at the centre of the universe. They thought that the sun and the other planets all rotated around the Earth. So when they looked out at the night sky, they imagined that the Earth was stationary and there was this big sphere out there and all the sun and all the planets all were moving around in funny patterns on this sphere. They thought wrongly that the Earth was at the centre. Then along came Copernicus, who said it was all the wrong way around. The Earth wasn't at the centre. The sun was at the centre of our solar system. The sun is bigger, it goes at the centre, and the earth is rotating around the sun. People thought this was a crazy idea. They, they tried to get rid of him. It took a long time, but people changed their thinking. They call it the Copernic, Copernican Revolution. It was a change in what was at the centre. We make exactly that same mistake when we think that we're at the centre of the universe. And we hear the news that Jesus is at the centre and we, we don't want to hear it. We want to say, no, 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 I'm at the centre of the universe. But God has set the agenda for our universe and we are not at the centre. Jesus is. I wonder if you ever make that same mistake. What is your life about? What is it that you live for? Is your life all about Jesus because it would be crazy to have your life based on anything else you'll be butting up against the agenda of the God who made you he's shown us what life is about he's shown us where this world is heading if we live any other way it will end in disaster this world you were made for Jesus this is the one thing that matters in your life God doesn't want your leftovers God doesn't want your spare time. God doesn't want you to fit Jesus in around your agenda and your priorities. That's not living for Jesus. Jesus himself said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. All of life needs to be about Jesus. Now, in a few weeks, and especially at the intensives, we're going to spend some time thinking about what that means. In fact, there's two seminars on what it might mean at work, for example, to live with Jesus as our king. So we're not going to look at that this morning. But for now, I just want you to know that all of our life needs to be about Jesus being king. Your work, how you work, why you work, it's all about Jesus. Whether you're a nurse or a welder, a scripture teacher or a mechanic, if you are on board with God's agenda, then in your job, you'll work not for yourself, not for your boss. It'll be all about Jesus and his purposes, not yourself. So suddenly how you work and how you relate to the people at work and how you respond when things go wrong are far more important than what job you do. 
It's all about Jesus. All the decisions in life, what town you live in, whether you rent or own a house, that's not really important, but how you live there, how you treat other people in the house that you live in, who you invite over, it all needs to be about Jesus. How much money you earn, irrelevant. But what you do with your money, whether you're content with what you have, it's all got to be about Jesus. What you do with your spare time, how often you ring your parents, what you do when your boss treats you badly, it's all about how we can honour Jesus. That's why, for example, in Colossians, which we're reading in our one-to-ones in the course of your life, right near the end, Paul writes this. Whatever you do, whatever it is that you do, whether in word, what you're talking about, whether in deed, what you're doing with your hands, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Or Corinthians, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. This life is all about Jesus. That's God's agenda. Now, next week, we're thinking about if that's not your course of life, if you're not living for Jesus, how can your course of life change? That's next week. And the week after, if you are living for Jesus, how is it that God actually changes us to live for him in the various areas of our life? That's the week after. But for this week, I just want you to go away with one thing that this is what God's agenda is. Jesus. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem as a king, he rode on a donkey. He told his disciples to go and find him a colt. They brought it to Jesus. He hopped on the donkey and he rode into Jerusalem. That's what we celebrate on Palm Sunday. And as he rode in, the people were shouting, Hosanna, son of David, they were quoting some of the Psalms. He was the king. He's the one that the Old Testament was promising. They laid out their cloaks for his donkey to walk on. They waved the palm trees at him. He rode in as a king. He got a king's welcome. Everyone was cheering and clapping and dancing. Wouldn't it be crazy if the donkey thought that all the applause was for him? Now, you are a donkey if you think that this life is about you. You're crazy if you think that this life is all about you and your glory. This life's not about us. It's about Jesus. And when we live with Jesus as our king, God is glorified. If that's not you, come back next week. If that is you, come back in two weeks and we're thinking about how we put that into practice more. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you reveal so clearly in your word what your agenda for this world is. From start to finish, if we read it honestly, we can't help but see that Jesus is the king. Father, in so many ways we try to avoid that truth. In so many ways we try and make ourselves in charge of our lives and do what we want instead of what Jesus wants. But Father, we pray that you'd help us to see clearly your agenda for this world is that Jesus be king. 
Father, we pray that for his sake and for your sake, for those of us who claim to be Christians, that we might live with Jesus as our king and not play games. Father, we pray that you might change us by your spirit to be like him, that we might bow the knee to him willingly now so that it won't have to be unwillingly when he returns. Father, thank you that you have a clear plan and agenda for this world. We pray that we might be right at the centre of it, a part of it, submitting to Jesus. Amen.